Welcome to this Acadia Divinity College Chapel podcast. I am Stuart Blythe, a member of the faculty ADC and the Dean of Chapel. Here, you'll get a chance to hear perceptive and powerful sermons which were delivered by staff, faculty, students, alumni and guests as part of our weekly Wednesday Chapel services. to me then. Thank you. Well, it's lovely to be here. I was slightly concerned uh, that my accent might translate and then I thought, well, you've had Stuart, so uh, the accent should be familiar enough to you. I realise that everybody will be studying and thinking very deeply, I'm sure, for most of the day. And so I don't want to bring you a hefty sermon uh, in the middle of all your studies, but more of a gentle reflection. When we look at scripture, when we look at the patterns that we find in scripture, we see themes that are woven time and again through the whole of the Bible. And for us as Baptists, one of those important themes is the theme of water. And as I've got to know scripture, I've realized that water kind of always represents one of three things that's happening. Sometimes it's about a battle between life and death. It's about the difference between chaos and order. When we think about Genesis 1, we think about the the watery wilderness uh, where nothing could live and God separated the waters and brought order to the earth so that things could thrive. We think of Noah and the flood. We think of how God closed the waters back over the earth, bringing about death. We think also sometimes when we see water, there's a theme of transition. There's a time of change and a time of opportunity. We think how after the flood, the waters delivered Noah to a high place where God then made a covenant with him and started over. We think about the water in the story of Exodus, the very beginning when Pharaoh sentences all the firstborns to drown in the Nile, the water becomes once again a place of death. But for Moses, those same waters become a place of deliverance. They bring him from death to life, from danger into safety. And often when we find water in scripture, there's an invitation into relationship. We think of the woman that Jesus meets at the well. We think of the waters of baptism. Often where Jesus meets somebody, where God meets somebody, or where people meet each other, when there's water involved, there's an invitation into relationship and into life. And so with those things in mind, when I think about Joshua 3, I think about the significance of water in this story. We think about the community of Israel. Water's already been a big part of their story. When they were fleeing from Egypt, God had to help them cross the Red Sea. He had to part the waters as they fled from slavery. God parted the sea before them and sent them across the dry ground. He made a way and he got them where they needed to go. At that point in their life, they were scared and they were running and they were in a hurry. They had to go. So God parted the water with no effort and let them go. But here in Joshua, we see a slightly different story. What does God say to them? He says, when you get to the water, step in, step in, and then I will part the water. Get yourselves into the water, and then I will split the waters for you. Now, it's a small thing that's easy to miss, but it's actually not a small thing. 
it's actually quite a dangerous endeavour to step into the waters in flood season where you could get swept away. Now, God parted the waters before. Why does he do it this way? Why does he do it differently this time? Well, there's two things. First of all, they're in different circumstances. In these circumstances, they're not fleeing from their past. They're not running for their lives. These are people who are out to seek the land that God has promised them. They're also a different people. After all, they're years in the wilderness. This is a slightly different group of people from the one who fled Egypt. The people leaving Egypt and fleeing those scenes, they were people who'd only known slavery and oppression. They were people who were new to trusting God. But here in Joshua, we find a people who have lived that wilderness life where they've known God's faithful provision for years and years. And we have people born in the wilderness who know nothing but God's goodness. These are different circumstances and they are different people. These are people whose identity is not rooted in their suffering, but in their freedom. And so God asks them to step out first into the water as a mark of their maturity. Here we find ourselves in similar circumstances with a similar obstacle that we've had before. I'm going to ask you to step out in faith now that you know me and you trust me. Participation is what leads to our transformation. God is instilling this pattern of being participants in their own journey and their own transformation. Sometimes as we mature in our faith, we find ourselves looking back on our early experiences of God and feeling like it was just easier. The signs were clearer. The doors were eliminated for us so that we knew exactly which ones to push. It can be easy as we mature in our faith to think that we've lost our spiritual edge, to think that we're not as good at hearing God, uh, that we're, we're somehow, God has forgotten how much we need him to be clear with us before we can step out. But I wonder if we miss in these moments a sign of God's faith in us and a call to maturity and an invitation to participate in something that will transform us. The writer of Hebrews and Paul both talk about growing in our maturity, not remaining spiritual infants. As a child grows, a parent or a carer or a teacher would expect to stop doing everything for that child. They would expect them to grow in their willingness to take responsibility for themselves, for their own lives. We would expect them to be able to make certain decisions on their own with wisdom and with the values that we've imparted and the skills that we've given them. At a certain point, we would expect our life with them to be more collaborative than codependent. And so it is with God. One of my favorite authors, Rabbi Sachs, talks about this. He says, the difference between things that are done for us and the things that we have a share in doing, the former changes us for a moment, but the latter changes us for a lifetime. God sets a pattern whereby people learn by participation. God invites Israel to take into account their years of faithful provision, the ways that they know him, the way they can trust him, how he's empowered them in battles, and the wisdom that he's given them through the laws. And he invites them to step into the life that he's leading them towards. Throughout their journey, we see God give them greater and greater responsibility. He doesn't give them complete freedom in the wilderness to do as they like, but he uses that time to shape and transform them as a covenant community in preparation for living out that freedom well and responsibly. 
sometimes I get resistance from people to the idea of divine human collaboration. And there's a couple of reasons for that. First is that it opens us up to making mistakes. We're relatively comfortable with the idea of free will, but to use our free will, we kind of want to do God's will exactly. We can be uncomfortable with the idea that God gives us choice or opportunity to use our own initiative to step out in faith and trust him to catch us as we go. It's actually scary to put ourselves in a position whereby we could get it wrong. It makes us vulnerable that we could fail. It also comes with an immense sense of power that we could make a decision of our own accord and that God would say, okay, that he would work with the consequences of our choices as they unfold. I think the second reason people can struggle with the idea of collaborative faith is because there's an implicit sense that it makes God vulnerable. If God can allow us to make our own choices, then his plans are vulnerable to our actions. That's very scary. That's like the first time we realize that our parents are human beings whose lives actually do have, are impacted by the decisions that we make as children. In creating collaborative partnerships with us, God makes his plans vulnerable to our choices. I wonder how it feels for you to hear that. We don't often talk about God's vulnerability. Yeah, when we think of Genesis 18, how Abraham pleads for Sodom, if you find 40, 30, 20 righteous people, would you not spare them? Would you not change your plans? And God says, yes. Now, we can argue that God knew there weren't any righteous people there, so he could make that promise. But he'd have to keep it if there were. He would have to keep his word. When we think about God coming to Pharaoh and saying, let my people go, I wonder if God came to him every time knowing that he would say no with certainty. And yet somehow each invitation was still a genuine opportunity for Pharaoh to make his choices. I wonder had Pharaoh made his choice by the third plague, would the story have ended differently? It's difficult for us to work with this idea of God being vulnerable to our choices. But is that vulnerability not by God's design? From the very beginning, when we look at Genesis 1, God planted that garden. He set one boundary. He put one rule. He gave one choice. And he gave us the genuine, holy, free-willed choice to trust him and make our choices accordingly, ensuring that our love for him was free, thus making himself vulnerable to the very position that we find ourselves in Genesis 3. Humans make their choices, they mess it up, and God says, okay then. And in response, he comes to find us exactly where we have chosen to be. And then he invites us to participate in our own redemption. God can allow us to use our biblically guided, spirit-led initiative with the outcome open-ended and the risk of us making mistakes. Because he's not in the business of making robots, he's in the business of molding redemption. God has often redeemed the choices that people have made by inviting their participation. We think about the Ten Commandments, one of my favourite stories, where Moses smashes the tablets to pieces. These were tablets written by God's own hand. There may have been no more precious an artefact in the whole of human history than the tablets that God himself inscribed. And it's the most parenting moment I've ever seen in God where he sends Moses back up the mountain. He says, I'm going to give you another copy, but you are going to write it. And the second copy, God and Moses write them together. 
When you think about the tabernacle, how the whole community had messed up with all the golden calf affair, and God says, okay, you have made a real mess of this. How am I going to dwell in your presence, such a sinful, unfaithful people? And he says, you are going to build my tabernacle. You're going to create the space that retells your story, that points to Genesis, that makes space for me to live among you. You're going to make that space for me and be transformed by participating in your redemption. For many people, being in a place of learning where you are often marks a time of transition. There's a sense that your studies and your work and the time that you spend here is not just for the sake of studies, though that's important, but it's leading you on some kind of a journey. Your studies here may well be a catalyst for something that's beyond the time that you have here. If God had told me what I was going to Bible college for, I wouldn't have gone. I would have point blank refused to take up the call to pastoral ministry. Hand on heart, I wouldn't have gone. But God led me through a series of jobs and circumstances and seasons where in each one I was invited to participate in my own transformation that led me to be willing to enter into this role. I was invited to write that story with God and in doing so became ready for the task that he had assigned me. If we read Joshua chapter 4, it says that when the people got halfway, God said to them, stop and take a stone right from the middle of the river where you stand on dry ground and use that as a marker to remember this moment that you could not have stood here had I not made the way. It's one of the reasons that we want to hold on to those moments where God has seen us through something. Behind me, there are three pictures. Uh, you can't see what they are, but they're actually maps of places that I have been. Uh, one of them is Texas, one is Holland, and one is Brazil. And those are three places where God did some deep and transformative work in my life. And I put them up there as a reminder of those times so that when God is calling me to step out in a more mature faith, that I have these markers that remind me that he's already seen me through that he's already been faithful. And it's by those markers that I can then say, I'm willing to step into these waters because I know that you will meet me right in the middle. There will come a time for each of us where God makes that invitation. Step out, do your part, and trust me to meet you there. And so that's my invitation to us this morning. When God trusts you, isn't that a huge thing? When God trusts you to do your part, can you then trust him with his? Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your written word to us. We thank you for the stories of people who grew and learned and participated in their journey with you. People who stepped out with bold faith, people who made mistakes and got it wrong, and people who you lovingly redeemed through the participation of their own story. Lord, we thank you for each person that you've called to study here in this place. We thank you for their willingness to take up that endeavor. Lord, we pray for each one of them, this season of learning and studying and fellowship together be a time of transformation. It would be a season where they witness your faithful provision, 
And it's through the participation in this process, Lord, that you will mature them and prepare them for whenever it is that you're going to ask them to step out in mature and bold faith. Lord, we thank you that you trust us to mature and that you trust us with the invitations that you make. And so, Father, we pray that you would help each of us to remember those moments, to mark those moments where we see you lead us through and give us the faith to hold on to those times when you ask something bigger. May these things be a blessing to us for our good and for your glory. We ask it in your name. Thank you for joining us in this Acadia Divinity College Chapel podcast. You can follow us on social media. Discover more on our website at acadiadiv.ca or join us for chapel on a Wednesday.